Hey, it's Deep Focus. I'm your host, Mitch Goldman. This is part two of the program for Monday, August 28th, 2014. Carl Berger and Ingrid Sertzo, my guests on the topic of Don Cherry. And if you did not hear part one, I do recommend that you start with that one. But it's your show. It's your movie. Uh, this is just a soundtrack or content, maybe, or eidetic music. So you're the director. You can play it any way you like. All right, here's part two. Last, second and final part of this program. Enjoy. Thank you. 
That is a very, very magnificent live recording of a spectacular performance. This is the group that we've been talking about tonight. If you are just joining us, well, you've missed some fireworks tonight already. But you've got uh, some more to come. And uh, this is a great time to be coming along. show's called Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman. This is WKCR. And uh, when we do these shows, we have a guest, and we put into deep focus an artist of particular interest to that guest. Our guests tonight, Ingrid Sertso and Carl Berger, and we're discussing the music of the fantastic Don Cherry. And we've been talking about the group that uh, Don put together with you. And Gato Barbieri, uh, 
J.F. Jenny Clark, Aldo Romano. And this is that group performing, and it's a recording. I don't know if you even knew that it existed. No, I didn't. It's, that, a, it's a beautiful recording. It's a very, not very nice recording. I think it was a radio recording it, right, in Stuttgart, I'm sure. I would imagine, yeah. And uh, it's uh, more important than that is hearing the energy in this group and all the invention and right. newness of the moment right. that you were describing. Mm-hmm. It's this is thrilling. Right. Well, also... It's something that um, <coughs> musicians nowadays hardly have a chance to experience because it's a group that by that point had played for like six months every day except Mondays <coughs> with rehearsals every day. So the group became sort of a unit uh, and the music that was coming uh, was not necessarily anymore like the singular instruments but it was like the sort of a common sound that started yeah. to happen, you know? Yeah, there's a very distinctive yeah, it's, uh, and, yeah, voice. It's a kind of, it's a kind of energy that um, is hard to uh, understand if you don't really experience it, you know? It's a whole other thing if a group plays together for a long time, in a, you know, on an yeah. ongoing basis. Yeah. A whole other feel for each other starts to happen, you know? You just basically know what's coming you know you're like part of a of a whole you know even more than uh, being an individual contributing something you know mm. yeah. now when you listen back to this is this more or less the way you remember it or is it how does it strike you well you know when, when you play you don't really listen and so to me listening is always something different from what i experience uh, playing you know like uh, once you once you play, uh, you're gone, you know. And the best way to play is if you don't even know what you played, and, uh, and you, then you when you hear it, it's sort of the first time you're actually hearing it. <laughs> because you can't be your own critic, yeah. And your player, you know. Mm-hmm. And what I'm also thinking, like the other day we had an interview, um, and the interviewer asked asked us. Um, what did we think when we first heard Ornette? And I said, think? <laughs> I didn't think. I was, right. in, I was in the music. So even the listener can go to that place, you know, where you no longer think about it or, you know, you're not, you just get into it, mm-hmm. you know. That's why, th- that's why this expression is so good, get into it, you know. Yeah. So yeah. you're inside it, you know. So This must have been, I mean, it is bracingly fresh music it must have been pretty striking for this audience yeah to hear this yeah at the time as i said like live music was the thing you know so yeah. people weren't really um that's what they did you know, went yeah. out to listen to music live yeah and there was also not as much technology involved you know you really could hear the instruments yeah you know and uh, so it the, the places were always packed everywhere, you know. It's fantastic. Yeah, always. Was it uh, was it difficult getting gigs? Were were people receptive to this? Was uh, was this unusual to play a big venue like this? <coughs> yeah, of course. I mean, 
we played maybe two or three venues like that per month or so, you know. But we would play in Prague at the festivals, or we would go to the Golden Circle in Stockholm. Or that that place seems yeah. the way people talk about it to have been a yes a critical right spot in Europe. Exactly, but it was more like clubs, like that long-term things. Like you would be at the Golden Circle for two weeks, you would be at the Copenhagen Montmartre for four weeks. Right, right. You know, and uh, and when you talk about the time playing every night in Paris, was that at uh, Le Chat Qui Pêche the whole time? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, all the time except except playing at the radio. You know, we yeah. did a couple of radio shows in Paris. We have some yeah. of that as well. <laughs> yeah, <I understand>. <laughs> 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 yeah, you guys got everything. Well, we we've got some. Uh, very dedicated archivists here. We've been really lucky, and uh, the this music. I don't. I don't know that I recognize that piece specifically. But this uh, is the ensemble, more or less. Well, not exactly the ensemble either. Uh, but playing the music from the album Complete Communion, which had been recorded a f- right. maybe a few months earlier, yeah. uh, or a year earlier, well, But I also, guess. you know, Don Cherry called the band Complete Communion. Ah, okay, That, that yes. was sort of a, a, not a very official, but it was sort of his band name. It's a great name. Yeah, Complete Communion, that's what he called it, yeah. I see. So in the title yeah. of yes. the album just... Uh, right fit with yes. that. Okay, so it yeah. didn't necessarily refer to the album itself. Not necessarily, no. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense, and uh, it's very fitting. Right. And it sounds like really what you guys experienced. Together. Yes, yeah, exactly. And tell us about these guys, especially for people who don't know, which uh, uh, the name Aldo Romano and J.F. Jenny Clark are names that dedicated listeners are familiar with from reading the yeah. backs of album covers, but this is a real person for you. Maybe you can share a little something about these guys. Well, they both were very, they, they were uh, the youngest members. Uh, Jenny Clark was just about 19, right? I don't know. Huh? I don't know. Yeah, but I think it was not, it was not much older than 20 year old, you know? Wow, yeah. And Aldo wasn't much older either. Like, they were really young players in Paris who joint there and um shenny clark so so they they hadn't played with a lot of other people before Mm, you know mm. not that i would know really you know later they became well known both of them locally and and, but also internationally and uh, aldo particularly became like the sort of one of the top drummers next to daniel lemaire yeah in france and then beyond, you know. And he also, he also started to sing and write. Yeah. And, yeah. He became a singer, and so he did all kinds of other things. But I'm not very aware of all of that because I left for New York, and we we, we were here, so we were not part of the European scene after that that much, you know. How was that uh, decision made? Did Don just Don Cherry decided at a certain point? Okay, I'm going back to New York. And no, we had uh, we had a contract for, with Blue Note, you know. Right. So Symphony for Improvisers was really the goal to go to, you know. This is the reason why we went, and we had at the same time um, a, a, a club engagement at the Five Spot. 
Uh-huh. So we played the five spot and did the uh, uh, symphony for improvisers. And then Ornette organized a concert at Town Hall. Mm-hmm. And at Town Hall, we were joined by uh, uh, a second rhythm group. Rashid Ali was there, Charlie Hayden was there, and then Blackwell was there. And uh, actually, Romano went back right away. He couldn't handle New York at all. Yeah. And Chief uh, left pretty soon after. And then um, uh, Henry Grimes started to play with us, and Pharaoh Sanders came in, and Lee Konitz actually played <laughs> on some of these tracks. <coughs> and Ornette wrote a suite for the group. And the only thing that happened, he, he, he rented Town Hall, but he forgot to advertise. Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> so when we start, when the when the curtain opened, there was like Cecil Taylor and Alan Silver and five <laughs> friends of his, oh my God. and my brother who lives in New York, <laughs> and ten other people, and that oh was it. <laughs> Nobody talks about that one. I never heard about that. <laughs> no, you know, right? How many people were there? You were there, right? I can't remember. Town Hall. I don't the Town Hall know. concert? No. Nope. I'm sure you were there, I'm sure. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And uh, so, and then life just continued here. You were in New York, and I I take it you wanted to be here. Well, we wanted to go back, but Ornette was really starting to. uh, Ingrid and I went over to Ornette's pretty much every week, right? right? Uh, Yeah, six months. Was that uh, Prince Street? Or? Prince Street, yeah. yeah. And we we started talk a lot to on that, and 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 uh, I developed this idea of creating a foundation, and because from Europe I was more into this nonprofit kind of thing, you mm-hmm. know. And then finally, Onet said, "Yeah, let's start it," and he was becoming a founding member. But he said to me. Um, well, you do the nonprofit, I do the profit. <laughs> <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> well, that was a, a real visionary approach yes. um, to to establish a not for profit. Well, it, I, actually, we met Carla Blay and Mike Mantler, and they offered us some office space on Broadway. Uh, in the sixties, up there, they had like the Jazz Composers Orchestra. And they had like developed that nonprofit thing, you know, like a nonprofit label mm-hmm. and uh, the what label, yeah. and then the new music distribution and the JCOA. So all of that was on a nonprofit basis, and they were raising grants and so on funds that way, and it appealed to me, you know, to yeah. work this way. And uh, so basically, through them. Sort of in their back room, <laughs> yeah. The creative music studio started. You wow. Know? Yeah. But you had the idea of going back initially. You wanted to. I mean, I guess Europe was home, and well, we you know we we always kept the place in Europe. We we actually went back uh, in '67, '8, and uh, we were like f- still in Europe until the early '70s more than we were here actually almost i think we were just keep going back and forth to, was it paris or had you no mostly in um yeah, paris but in uh, in italy and in germany we were staying 
And uh, that is actually has been continuing to this day. We always, I just, we just reestablished <coughs> another place near Frankfurt and starting a group of all European musicians as well, mainly because of the, um, the logistics, uh, you know, like the uh, people who come from here are getting taxed over there like crazy. Yeah. And uh, it's like very hard uh, conditions for people who don't live there. Yeah. You know, to yeah. actually play, you know. Playing situation is like really bad, you know. There. Yeah. Huh. In, that's, in that respect. Do the... Um, and, but also the Americans are doing the same thing to the Europeans, like... They now they now asking for work visa uh, and asking people to pay fifteen hundred dollars minimum uh, in order to get such a visa. So you see less European players over here out of a sudden because of that. Yeah, I don't know why governments have to make money off musicians. I just don't get it really. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right. Yeah. That's uh, all of our cultural capital. Right. We should be uh, <laughs> encouraging that. Yes, I know. And now let me ask you, things like this recording that uh, were created by state radio and the broadcasting of them was actively encouraged of this kind of music, of a broad variety of music. Does that still happen? Is that still supported? Or, or do they rebroadcast? Do you hear these things showing up? Yeah, I mean, even then... This was just like in the, in the late evening hours that they would broadcast jazz. Right. And uh, uh, I think the, there are still um, dedicated jazz programs, and there are dedicated jazz um, radio stations even. But they are much more commercial, mm. you know, in a lot of ways. They're playing more like stuff uh, like... Um, uh, more the sort of softer stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. it seemed like uh, my sense of it, um, the time I've spent in Europe, it used to be seen as kind of educational and of cultural yes. merit, and it wasn't necessarily regarded as commercial entertainment. Yes. Well, that's true. That's true. We, you had like a more. Um, uh, uh, a more spiritual approach to it, you know. And that's still true, you know. Um, but um, on the other hand, um, as you know, you know, capitalism progresses; it's getting worse, you know, and it affects these areas too, yeah. you know. You are listening to WKCR FM New York, a non-commercial radio station. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> My name is Mitch Goldman. I call this show Deep Focus. Yes. And our guests tonight, the uh, the the all but silent Ingrid Sertso and the more effusive Carl Berger. And uh, we are celebrating and focusing on the music of Don Cherry and this fantastic group that you were part of that we're so lucky to have this uh, obscure live recording of. Yes. A few of them. Um, this one in particular we're listening to in Stuttgart at the Liederhalle. And uh, you guys didn't feel any need to tone things down for this. Uh, you know, you're used to playing this little basement in Paris, and whoever comes through the door, great. Now you're in this, what, couple thousand seat big theater in another country, and there was no 
kind of holding back in first oh, no. gear. No, not at all. They're going to get it face yeah. first. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Was it seen as a uh, an aggressive thing, or it's just like that's what we do, that's what we're going to do, or uh, did you talk about it? Do you think? No, we d- we didn't talk we're about it. We're going to just we're going to play. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there was ever a conversation about that a, a different venue needs different music or yeah. anything like that. No. Yeah. No, we're going to we're bringing it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. Should we hear another track? The next one is, I think, a piece from uh, the album Complete Communion. Um, coincidentally or not, uh, Elephantasy. Okay. I'm one of Don's pieces. And again, the ensemble. And this was a real working class, working group ensemble. Uh, a distinction I was going to make, something we talked about off mic, people <coughs> might know, dedicated fans might know the recording from Copenhagen yeah. uh, that you guys did with both Steve yes. on the bass. Right. I hadn't realized you guys were a real band, as you were saying, yes. specifically with J.F. Jenny Clark playing yeah. bass. And as it happened, that was the one gig he missed, is right. the one recording that came out that people In might Copenhagen, have heard. Yes. Copenhagen. So here is the actual full ensemble that worked together day in, day out with J.F. Jenny Clark on bass. It's Don Cherry's cornet, uh, Gatto Barbieri on tenor saxophone. You are playing vibes, uh, and Aldo Romano is the drummer. And uh, something you said to me off mic, uh, maybe we could share with the audience about you'd been a piano player, how it came to be that you were playing vibes with this group. Um, the, the vibraphone playing started um, a few years before I met Don. Um, and that happened because um, I plus, when I played with Hans Koller, I went to Paris and met this vibes player who was gonna play with us. And um, he had a set for sale uh, and there was a custom-built set, which I'm playing to this day, same same thing. And uh, it was very inexpensive, so I bought it. And uh, uh, in, the, in between, we used to play in Heidelberg in this little club called the Car 54, and they had a terrible piano, and it was always out of tune. And so I had this vibe set, and I also liked the idea of getting up and moving, you know. So I just used it as like sort of my toy, and then later, uh, with, with Don, it was the same thing. The Shaki Pesh had a terrible piano. And, uh, and then I started to realize that by playing the vibes, my piano playing changed. You know, I was getting out of the classical licks, uh, started to understand that it's really a percussion instrument, mm. that there are really hammers there, and that it's all about touch, you know. So the vibes has helped me a lot in the piano playing, but because of the vibes uh, emphasis in that period, everybody thought I'm a vibes player and I won all these downbeat awards <laughs> later in, as a vibes player, but I, I, ne- I never had a single lesson on the vibes. Well, there is there's a lot less competition yeah. <laughs> among vibes players than among pianists. Well, there were 700 in, in New York when I arrived. Wow. Yeah, so I looked at the Musicians' Union book but uh, I never studied vibes. I'm, I don't have a vibraphone technique. It's it's sort of a, t- a tool that I t- like a like sort of like a toy. Well, yeah. it's interesting that um, there isn't quite as I mean, certainly vibes have been part of the music for decades and had been at the time when you were making these recordings. But there 
isn't maybe quite as much of a conventional approach to that instrument as there is to piano. You know, it's not like to, to play a new kind of music. It's not, you don't have to break away from uh, as yeah. M- yeah. Right. Well, the, the conventional way of playing the vibes really established itself later through uh, the way Gary Burton played. Everybody started playing with four mallets and so mm-hmm. on. And I, I sort of like the old style of the the way Lionel Hampton played and Red Norbo and those yeah. guys, you know, and Mill Jackson. Yeah. I really l- love the, uh, that because playing lines like that and going into a real percussive, like uh, going go to a real uh, detailed dynamics with each note. Well, later it started to sound like doorbells to me, you know. <laughs> I'm not that interested in that sound, you know. <laughs> well, whatever you're doing, it's working. Thank you. So uh, let's go back to the Liederhalle the, in, uh, in Stuttgart, December 5th, 1966. Don Cherry Complete Communion with uh, Don Cherry's cornet, Gato Barbieri, tenor saxophone, J.F. Jenny Clark on the bass, Aldo Romano playing the drums, and our guest, Carl Berger's playing the vibes, and uh, let's go. And I'm just going to mention again, if you don't mind, Carl Berger, every night next week, Tuesday through Sunday at the Stone, the stonenyc.org, or C-O-M, yeah. <laughs> one of those, yep. and uh, certainly information available in detail at creativemusicfoundation.org. Yeah, and actually on that Tuesday the 2nd, we're probably going to be playing some of these pieces that you're hearing right now because we are going way back to that material, you know. Fantastic. And actually Ingrid wrote new texts for some of these, so they have, it sort of has a special flavor that way. Uh, but we're definitely Tuesday is Don Cherry Night. Oh, you know? magnificent. Yeah. All right, come on down to the stone. And uh, meanwhile, we're off to Stuttgart. I hope you've got your passport ready.
A live recording in Stuttgart, December of 1966, with Don Cherry, Complete Communion, band that he led, featuring our guest. Uh, actually, you know, this might be 65, December 65. Ah. Yep. You're 66, we were here. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I think it's December 65. Yeah. Um. So this is uh, this is early in your yes. time with him. Well, it's like six months into it, about you know, yeah, about about eight months into it, uh, stayed, yeah. Carl Berger, our guest tonight. If you're just tuning in, I'm Mitch Goldman. This is WKCR. The show is Deep Focus. The subject of tonight's Deep Focus, Don Cherry, and this group that uh, playing together. If you haven't heard all this great talk and great music we've had uh playing together day in day out literally afternoon into the evening uh six nights a week yep. and uh don cherry's cornet gato barbieri tenor saxophone jf jenny clark on the bass aldo romano on the drums and our guest carl berger playing the vibes and uh thoughts as you're listening to this is it surprising is it revealing is it affirming no it gets you right back into it you know like it's as if it's happening now <laughs> yeah, it is happening it's now really, isn't it it's a real fresh feel you know it's it's uh, time timeless in a way you know of course we would play it differently now and um, as a matter of fact we will next tuesday you will hear some of these songs at the stone but they will sound a little different and um but, you know, time changes. But when you hear this music, it's fresh. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing dated that I feel. I agree 100%. Carl Berger at the Stone all next week, Tuesday through Sunday. Not just a different set each night. Two different sets pretty much each yeah. night. Eight, eight o'clock. Ten. Eight and ten o'clock, yeah. Avenue C and Second Street here right. in New York City. And uh, we also talked about the... Workshops coming up at the end of September yes. up in Big Indian, New York. And all of this information available for you, our listener, at Carl Berger's website, Creative Music 
foundation.org. Yeah, I like to sort of lead the attention to these workshops because they relate so much to the title of your series called Deep Focus, you know, because that's really what we're into. We're doing like a basic practice program, and maybe Ingrid likes to say something to it too. Yeah. About what? Uh, the basic practice program and what we do with the workshop. Yeah. Oh. Well, one of the few musicians that was really into voice was Don. Yeah, exactly. He, he, and yeah. Don sang himself. Yeah. And whenever he came to the studio and he did his music, he let the people sing the song first. He sang the melody, and then they had to sing it. And then sometimes in the workshop, he didn't even get to the written music because they learned it by him just singing it to them. So Don was actually one of my favorite musicians to work with. And we worked on and off and on and off and on and off. And he told me once, uh, your voice makes me play. Hmm. You know, and there isn't a lot of musicians that are into voice. And so the few that are, like Ornette and Don, you know, and uh, of course a singer, if your occupation is singing, you would always remember that. And he was a, a, a f incredible supporter. And if it wouldn't have been really for Don, I don't know whether I, I would have gotten more and more into doing workshops. Mm. But he believed so much in voice, into voice, you know. Yeah. And I remember I wanted to say that before when you mentioned him playing Monk. Yes. And then t tell the other one, you can do it. Yeah, right? Yeah. He called me up <laughs> and said, uh, Ingrid, I need your voice on my decolleté. And I said, okay, I come down. I came down, and he gave me only 10 minutes. I had only 10 ah. minutes to learn the song from <laughs> Peter Affelbaum. Mm. And I was nervous like hell, yeah. which I usually not. And um, I can't remember, what, what is his name? Eminem Records? Uh, um, uh, Schneider, Schneider. Schneider yeah. John Schneider. Oh, John, John Schneider, Schneider yeah. Yeah, called me in, the they recorded right, it. Yeah. And he called me in, and I said to Don, Don was on his way out to the coffee shop, and I said to Don, I can't do it. It's uh, Time is too short, and it should be good, right? And he said, you can do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's all he said, and he left. <laughs> and then I went in, I did it. John Snyder called me in uh, with Peter Affelbaum, and then he, John said, Ingrid, that's the best on the whole album oh. because we don't have to do a second take. Wow. <laughs> and then Don came back, and then he looked at me, and he looked at me and said, how did it go? Sugar. He always called me Sugar. <laughs> how did it go, Sugar? And I said, I didn't even have to take a second take. And he said, I knew it. <laughs> so all he said first was, you can do it. Yeah. And then he said, I knew so he's one of the people that could give you so much confidence. It's, that's a teacher. Yes. He trusts in you. 
Yeah. And it's more important than words and explanations, and he just trusted in me. And so that encouraged me to do more and more on voice, you know, for those workshops. And I always uh, was part of Carl's Gamalataki workshop that also came from Don Gamalataki. That basically developed out of a piece by Don called Gamalataki. Don brought that first time up in uh, in Paris, and I did. You know, it's it's like Gamalataki is like you start fact you start with a you know you go over all the numbers. Three, five, seven, eight, you know, and then I started building uh, phrases over that and sing it with the people so they don't always have to say, Gamalataki, Gamala. So I made melodies. And that's the workshop we do. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I do more and more and more and more voice in it. And I would like to do my own voice workshop. Uh, because it seems to be really working, you know. When we went to Switzerland, we did that voice. I did that voice workshop there, and it was big success. And everybody can sing, you know. That's not the privilege of one person. Yes. And the the big philosophy of the studio was really that everybody is musical. You say you're not a musician, but if you would dig it out, you could become one, because. The music is in you, otherwise you wouldn't even be sitting here and doing this with us. So that's a, that was the important philosophy of the studio. And Don loved the studio. He loved it. Ah, now he I came was never up in, as often yeah. as possible. Yeah. And before he went to Barcelona to die, which he didn't know he would, he said to Carl, you have to do the studio again. We had already lost it to the bank mm. because of President Reagan. Yeah. But Don said, you have to do it the studio again because he was tired of touring. He just wanted to be in one place. Mm. He, he was a, such a natural educator, too, which I think a lot of people wouldn't realize that if they didn't know Fantastic. him. Fantastic. Well, very the sensitive. The main thing was very the subtle. deep focus, you know, the words, that's exactly what fits Don. That well, fits the studio, you know, is the deep focus. He had to, he was very deep. He wasn't like he wasn't just like spreading some a few words of wisdom. You no. Know? No. Yeah. I don't mind saying it. I I've said this to you before. You I, I can't say what you can say. Right. Yeah. You I wouldn't be Fantastic. here. Maybe I would be here, but I would not be doing <laughs> what I do the way I do it, if not for Don Cherry. I could say that in a certain broad sense about a lot of musicians who've been guests yeah. on this on this station with me, but it means something very specific when I say that about right. Don Cherry because it's as if he reprogrammed me as a broadcaster just in my ability to carry on a natural conversation. Yes, and uh, as if I'm if I'm a musician, it's as a uh, in this kind of format, right. being able to give and take with him. So I I completely get that from him. Right. And because he, he was my guest here many, many times. Yes. And I tried coming at him the way that I used to do the show. Yeah. It did not work. And he did not wait for me. <laughs> he just went. <laughs> so I realized very quickly, like, okay, I got to come up with something new. Oh, yeah. You, you, yeah. <laughs> it's very spontaneous. It, it was yeah. very unique. Yes, absolutely yeah. unique. 
It cannot yeah. be repeated. So really, uh, the idea of the deep focus that we, as we apply it in the studio now, is really through voice. You know, the teaching is really, your voice is really your entrance way. That's the your, voice was first. You know, that's your gateway to the music. And everybody has a voice, right? And everybody has their own voice. Yes. There is not even a, vo a voice that's the same. Charlie Parker actually wanted to sing. That's, that's interesting. That's why they call him Bird. But then he started playing the alto, you know. But mm -hmm. he actually, he said it in an interview. Wow. He wanted to sing. And that's where this whole idea came from, singing on your instrument. You know? mm. Yeah. In Indian music, voice you have to study first. Yeah, you have to study voice before you play an instrument. Yeah, And that's really the philosophy. So we're getting more and more there, you know. The deep focus is through your voice. You were, Directly, uh, you know? something we were talking about, we were talking in the studio while uh, the recording was playing of you guys in Stuttgart about how Don Cherry led the band and about uh, building suites and cueing right. solos and all that. Right. How, maybe you could talk a little bit about that, how that worked. Right. Well, you know, as I'm saying, there was no talking, so there was no conversation really. He would just like lead the band by jumping in and playing. Do you, you think, know? was that a choice of his? I'm going to have a band where no two people can communicate with each other. No, it, wa it wasn't, but it was fitting. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was perfectly fitting, this idea. Yeah. You know, because he didn't need words. And you know? what, uh, we were listening to that piece, and you were, that I love that thing that you said, quoting Don Cherry about what the rest of the world was doing and what you guys yeah, were doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when we came to New York, um, that was the period where a lot of long solos were played, you know? I think every, everyone was enthralled with Coltrane. And yeah, and, and Don... And Don hated that. Yeah. <gasps> he hated long solos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he would just say, you know, they all play ragas, but we don't, you know? He would, somebody would play a beautiful solo, Don would just interrupt it play a song in a total different key. It sounded wrong. <laughs> it sounded horrible. I thought, oh my God, they're gonna boo him out. But it worked. Mm. Yeah. Oh, he was just in the middle, you heard it, right? In the yeah. middle of Gato Solo, he starts a piece in a different key. And for a while, it's just chaotic, right? <laughs> that was mild, that was mild. Yeah. <laughs> well, Gato, Gato sounded like he, he, he got it. I don't know what, personally, he might have been like or what conversations went on backstage afterwards but he he grabbed the cue and he ran with don yeah, so he, yeah. he had no choice <laughs> there, that's true. actually gato was a guy if you would have let him go uh he would have played the cauldron type solely you know yeah half yeah, yeah. hour or whatever <laughs> <laughs> not not but on stage with don no, cherry hated that he didn't like that it's funny listening to that music that uh, there's a lot of aspects of it that would be very surprising. I think it's surprising to me, but I think to a lot of people who, I think there's a lot of people have a misapprehension about uh, what Don Cherry was about as a musician. And uh, that's the kind of thing that I think people wouldn't realize till they, they got to spend some time with this music to understand that. Yeah. How melodic it is, how swinging it is. Oh, yeah. And also how broad it is stylistically, you know. He would just let go and grab a bebop song 
or he would grab he would grab a, a, a bossa nova or any sound that he, any melody that he liked and he would just come in you know and uh, at the, at the most at, at the moment where nobody else would introduce a song like that you know he would just introduce it and change the f- subject so to speak you know speaking of i'm going to tell you what this next piece is uh, it's listed uh it happens to be the next piece that you guys played in this set this is uh, if you're just joining us once again let me tell you that uh i'm mitch goldman the show is called deep focus and our guests tonight ingrid Serzo and carl berger and we have a deep focus on band leader, composer, cornetist, Don Cherry, and uh, a, a big shaping influence on the lives of everyone inside this studio right now in one way or another, you guys in particular, me to some extent as well. But um, illustrating exactly what you're describing, this recording we're listening to is an archival recording that uh, you, Carl, have not heard since performing the music in yes. December of 65 and uh, we're we're experiencing that we're very fortunate to have this in our archives and the next piece you guys play is Orfeo Negro uh, Luis Bonfa which I think was from the film yes and uh, was that uh, it's a very interesting film and I wonder if that was a big thing in the air at the time or yeah, yeah. He, as I said, he heard it on the radio so often that he started playing it, you know. He would just follow the flow, whatever it was. If he liked the melody, it would come up, you know, and the, the context or whatever, he would not define beforehand. There was no arrangements. There were, there were no treatments of any sort. There was just this melody. And now it's thrown into the band and whatever is going to happen. You know? Was he ever frustrated or disappointed? If oh, you not guys at didn't? all. He was always very happy. There must happy have been times when somebody... He was always happy about it. Well, he took drugs. Yeah, he took drugs. Yeah, that's true. Someone wouldn't have been so happy if he wouldn't have... Yeah, that's true, too. That was one of the drawbacks uh, uh, that he always... He would, like, um, get presented with drugs from all sides, and he would just accept everything. He was so accepting kind of guy, like people just give him stuff, you know? Like Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Same thing, yeah. He came up for cold turkey to Woodstock, you know, and he got out of it. He was two weeks in our house, but then he said New York is the one that does him in. Mm. And he has a hate love to New York. Yeah. And I had to write the lyrics for a song about that. Hate love. Uh, you might know the song Manhattan Cry. Oh, yeah. So Ingrid wrote a song and she. Because he told me about it, you know. He hated Manhattan and he loved it. So he cried, you know. So I, I had to write lyrics to it. Also, I wrote lyrics to Art Deco. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he sent me one of the, his famous letters with lots of birds and flowers. And uh, hello, sugar. Could you please write some lyrics? You know, there's a, was another poet that wrote some lyrics, but that's not what I wanted. I want lyrics for Billie Holiday. Hmm. I still and have that song stuck in my head from yeah. the first time I heard it. And then I wrote the lyrics, and he loved it. He said thank you, and I did it with him. I did it with him three times before he died, and then I recorded it. And 
put this out him. Mm. He's uh, he's still present in uh, the lives of a lot of people. I'm sure there are listeners right oh, now. Yeah. Who are oh, I should have brought my CD where Don is on. Yeah. That we did Tom yes. Tedesco's. Right. He's on you, my CD. You might have it here called Dance Was It. It's an album called Dance Was It by Ingrid. And, and he was supposed to do play on three. He promised me three songs mm. to play on three songs. But he was so... Mm. Yeah, yeah. He may only make one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on that album. It's hard to find. It's like not in print. But you know the heartbreaking thing is people like Don, highly intelligent, sensitive, and get killed by by something like that, you know. It's... It's heartbreaking. We're lucky we had him as long as we did, mm. and we're lucky that we can still play his music. There's a place to play his music right. and hear his music, and especially that his spirit is really so alive in yes, what you so guys alive. are doing. Yep. And uh, I, in the hearts of a lot of people mm-hmm. who really yeah. loved him, um, but he's certainly worse this uh, year being a subject for deep focus because a lot of people have the idea of Don being sort of uh, um, sort of lightweight, kind of not, not you know, and he sort of was quite the opposite, opposite. you know. He was such uh, he was a real heavyweight, but he always sounding very light and yes. bright, you know. Yes. But he was like so, so deep. deep. Oh. Yeah. 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 Oh. yeah. I I miss him all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I miss his music and I miss him. And I also think it will survive the times, you know, like that sound is like uh, nobody has come up with it and nobody plays quite like that, you know. It's like very unique. Yeah. Truly. Annette loved him. Mm. Yeah. Ingrid Sertso and Carl Berger have been my guests tonight. I can't believe we're pushing right up against 9 o'clock. Oh my it God. always seems yes, like a... a nine. Against what? 9 o'clock. It seems like a, this endless span of time at the beginning of the show. <laughs> and I get to the end, I go, wait, wait, wait. Yes. Well, uh, let's but hear a few more minutes, whatever time we have for this. Um, I'm, I'm so thankful we found this recording of you with Don uh, in this fantastic group that you guys had and the great story about playing together day in, day out. And here it is, a fantastic recording yeah. that no one knows. Uh, once again, the lineup, uh, Don Cherry's cornet, Gato Barbieri on tenor saxophone, J.F. Jenny Clark on the bass, Aldo Romano on the drums, and you are playing the vibes. Carl Berger, once again, listeners, you want to be at uh, The Stone next week, Tuesday through Sunday, not only at 8 o'clock, but at 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock. Yeah, 8 or 10, yeah. You want to be there for both sets. Yes. Every night. Yes. And if you don't know exactly why and what you're going to hear, you can find out at online at the Stone NYC and at creativemusicfoundation.org. Right. And creativemusicfoundation.org is also the place to see Carl's blog and upcoming events and the workshops. The workshops, yeah. And the next workshop still has, uh, I think, two or three slots available. So if some people join up like this week, they can still get in. I have a feeling by the time that 
stone residence yeah. is done, I'm sure yeah, by be the done. end of that it'll be certainly be done. Yeah. But it's like such a unique experience, you know. And uh, what what Ingrid does with uh, with the voice and the rhythm workshops with us every day, that alone is worth coming. You yes. know, it's like because that's what deep focus is all about: is getting into your own voice. You know, that's the point. Yes. All right. So yeah. I'm so glad you're doing this show and that you're not just like spreading uh, some words, but you're actually digging deeper. You know trying man thanks for yeah. giving me all this great music to play yeah, thank you <laughs> and thank you for coming up yeah. thank you you're most welcome all right everybody come on we're heading back to uh stuttgart <laughs> let's go two more minutes i'll see you there two more minutes I wish we had time to play all of that. Tune in on a future Monday. You'll hear the rest of that set and some other fantastic music that we set aside for this program. What a pleasure bringing this music to you. The show's called Deep Focus. I'm Mitch Goldman. This is WKCR-FM New York. And keep it tuned right here, right now, coming up next, Late City Edition.